Welcome to After Credits here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we discuss a new movie, including everything that comes after the credits. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he might be the first person to try an interdimensional fruit, it's Arturo Zurita. This is that movie that if you got a boy who you've ever stayed up till 2 a.m. in the morning with to talk about the most foolish conspiracy theory or thought or connection or coincidence, whatever it is, this is that movie. Um, I'm excited to talk about this one because this is one that you and I were able to catch together early on this year at Sundance when we had our own little private theater, uh, when we made it out there to Utah. Uh, I know it was one of their first movies to premiere at Sundance. Yeah, their first movie at Sundance. That's great. Considering that we've been following a lot of their movies uh, back from The Endless and and Resolution, uh, this is like the... This is the buildup to all of that, right? Yeah. There's it, we've been talking about like where do you fit this in in the timeline of how to watch it, and uh, to me personally, this is the movie that is the result of all of the work that they've done together. And I think that the more of the previous movies that you watch of them, the better this movie's going to be. Absolutely, we are talking about something in the dirt. The latest movie, written, directed, starring, and a whole bunch of other stuff by Daffer. Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, who will join us later in this video to talk about their movie. They are a couple guys who have made a habit of making these kind of scrappy little sci-fi movies that take more modest budgets and really stretch the imagination of like what is possible in indie sci-fi films. I think we've really enjoyed a lot of their films in the past. We've talked about Synchronic for sure on Intercut. Mm-hmm. I really like The Endless. I don't know if there's any thing from their past that really stunk, stunk out to you. The Endless, easily. That's my yeah. probably starting point that I would always recommend people to go see. You catch some totally. of the little Easter eggs there and how they build the world. Brings also another another great one to start with but they just they're the definition of making movies with your friends which yeah. eventually ended up becoming their tagline yeah they got that in the credits for this movie so yeah this movie something in the dirt is about a pair of neighbors who witness something supernatural and then begin to investigate it themselves and i think one of the things that we both really love about this movie is just that sense of like diving down the rabbit hole right like a lot of this movie is spent deliberating and theorizing and going back and forth to try and figure out what is going on. It's it's one of those it, it's kind of one of those like guys discover something weird and try to do something with it. But there's just a really fun energy to it, a fun hangout vibe, even when it gets into some more like unsettling kind of disturbing or or creepy moments and i think it's just a really great mix of of genres in this kind of lo-fi sci-fi way definitely um if you're a fan of primer uh under the silver lake a lot of these you know movies where you go in and you start noticing little symbols and stuff around you then this is uh definitely one of those to add it uses california beautifully it had me going around chicago noticing different signs in different places as well and I think it's definitely worth catching on a rewatch because there's a lot of little things, especially from a narrative point of view, from a filmmaking, breaking the mm-hmm. fourth wall perspective that they're able to like really hone in on after you've seen the movie once through. But again, yeah, 
I would highly recommend if you haven't seen any of the previous ones to check those out as you lead into this one because it's going to be out on VOD and I think it's definitely mm-hmm. worth catching there again so you can rewatch it multiple times but if you do have a chance to catch it like as an early matinee or, or, or such I would that's how we caught it technically yeah. early matinee in our own little Sundance theater I, I think this still delivers on that front. Yeah, this is definitely one that I would say is worth going out to the theater for. It's a lot of fun and really, really kind of in, intriguing. Like, I think it's it's good brain food because it makes you really think and try to figure out what's going on. But it's also, you know, going to be available at home for VOD, or I think it is already. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's definitely one that we'd recommend. And it's one that we definitely we're we're thinking a lot about since we saw it at Sundance it's been one that I've been tossing over in my head and we were really excited when we were approached with the opportunity to uh, talk to Benson and Moorhead about this movie and and mine their brains for how they make the choices they do and how they present this story so uh, we had a whole bunch of questions for them I, I know Art you have been on them for a while and you wanted to ask them about Sundance and Easter eggs and all that I mean it, it's a movie that merits diving into the details of so we we okay. talked to them with complete spoilers and all it was a really cool discussion uh yeah i mean what are, what are some things that you wanted to find out from our interview well you'll see in a little bit all the questions that yeah. we asked so if you haven't seen it definitely full spoilers but this is one where I, again as a broken record there's a lot of their filmography that i think really leads up into this movie yeah. that as a viewer you almost feel like you've been seeing them building to this point the one thing that I definitely go in with it is that they're at that cross point where they're like in the studio space now, you know, they're making these Marvel projects. Some of you may know them from the Moon Knight series that they directed a couple of episodes for. And I remember hearing them say that their approach to this movie was that in the middle of the pandemic, realizing like, oh, can we make something else? Do we have to wait for the funding or the people or the idea or anything? They thought back to themselves 10, 15 years ago. And said, we would scoff at ourselves if we were listening to ourselves today. Get the camera and let's film. And Absolutely. with them being in front of the camera, it's always one of them here, one of them behind, and flip-flopping. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's motivational. And that can-do energy, I think, really seeps into the movie. It is a movie that is very mm-hmm. much about like doing it yourself, making it happen, even if you've only got yourself and a buddy or may- maybe a couple right. friends around you. So that ethos really, it's its what they make their movies by. It's what this movie really feels like. And I think it really pays off. We really enjoyed the film uh, and we really enjoyed our conversation with Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. So let's hear a bit more from the guys who made Something in the Dirt. I just want to say congrats, first of all, because uh, we were able to catch it at Sundance. Sundance is like one of the biggest film festivals for us because that's the first place that we were able to go to. And seeing that you guys got accepted, and it's been time since that festival, <laughs> I know that it was probably like a huge wave coming in. Uh, now that you've had time to like kind of wallow it out, how has the virtual release been? How has it been looking back at being able to be at Sundance, and like how have things changed with this rollout as opposed to a lot of the other ones? It's funny. Like, how is it? How is it different? It was definitely different having a virtual premiere. This was definitely a lot different than than a premiere in a in a theater. It's pretty. It was kind of wild in terms of like we had only ever been rejected. Like, every, every, I mean, I think every filmmaker submits to Sundance. We had only ever gotten the rejection letter, so it was pretty. It was pretty surreal. Just on movie number five, um, having the opportunity to screen there was pretty amazing. Doesn't, um, doesn't it feel like cosmically, like when you want something really bad, that's when you don't get it. But once you finally just said, "Well, I guess I'm never going to get it." 
that's when it suddenly works you know it's such it's so it's so upsetting to be human but uh <laughs> what was really cool about the the sundance virtual premiere was just our um our experience of the actual day because we invited our whole crew over but the crew had seen the movie so mm. we didn't watch the movie because there's no reason to stream the movie that everyone had already seen we instead just hung out and and we never really got to hang out on set together because of covid protocols and um, so we were able to hang out in our courtyard and, um, and then we did a Q and A together and then we just went out to some bars and it was a really lovely low key experience for something where our emotions were sailing so high. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only reason it took so darn long to release from Sundance till now is because we went off and, uh, and, you know, worked on something for six months in between and, uh, and there's, because there's no no cast or anything we kind of were the only people to promote the movie and, and if we're not available then there's no promotion so, yeah that makes sense well congrats guys <laughs> yeah uh yeah we were both really excited when we got to see it at sundance i think it's one of the best movies that we definitely uh saw out there i also feel like with a lot of your movies you're able to include like a lot of uh, explanation while still maintaining a, a sense of mystery to the film. Uh, this film in particular feels like the consequence of a lot of Wikipedia rabbit hole diving. Uh, and I feel like that also brings out a lot of the humor in the film. I think this is probably the funniest film of yours that I've seen. What inspired you to make this movie so dense with different concepts, even some that kind of end up being more like red herrings? Yeah. Well, the, um, uh, I think what it was is this is actually in some ways an omnibus film of our graveyard of failed pitches for the last 10 years <laughs> where we would be asked to come and pitch on, uh, for example, a haunted house movie franchise. We'd be asked that for, for the all, uh, almost every franchise, just like, Oh, do you guys want to come in and pitch, see what we can do? And they were always so left of center that they, that we might as well have just not done it. That we were, um, we just wanted to give it a good shot. And, um, but there was all these ideas that we thought were pretty good. They were just very left of center. And we found via, you know, the decision to make this film and the construct of what this film is, this kind of, you know, exploration into the unknown that we were able to use every single one of those, not every single one, sorry, that the, the initial, the initial, um, vomit draft not draft of it of the document that guided the film had every mm -hmm. single one of the ideas and uh and then we actually pruned it down to something vaguely cohesive believe it or not <laughs> that was pretty cool <laughs> so how do you navigate that balance then of like stuffing it with all this information and not like necessarily over explaining any of your ideas well it's interesting because on in the prior movies we've done there's a um there's obviously more of a sincerity to the mythology being weaved into the film. Right. There's a, it's going, the third act relies on the science fiction horror component, landing with a certain amount of clarity for it all to pull together. And on this one, we had decided straight out the gate that it was like, well, you know, you can, something definitely happened for these guys and it would be nice just to do something where truly the character arcs take take complete prominence over the third act as opposed to being kind of tied to trying to 
explain a very like a super sincere sci-fi horror premise to a T or else nothing works. Mm. Um, it was nice to to do an, to do a film where that is not that is not the case. So that really it's like you know you, you glimpse the tip of the iceberg at mm-hmm. the beginning of the movie. The iceberg was real, but your uh, your main characters um, literally didn't know it was an iceberg. <laughs> like <laughs> I. I would you would you say that we've been trying for probably since Arca to to make something where we could satisfy the audience and yet the point would be to be comfortable with the unknown yeah. and that we would kind of make a promise early on like hey we're not going to answer this this isn't about that because there are movies that are super frustrating where they say oh it could be anything and that's just right. kind of yeah. I feel like if you make a promise to the audience via little cues that that's not what this movie is going to be about, then um, then hopefully nobody would be dissatisfied with the lack of resolution and what the sci-fi mystery is. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do that for years because uh, there's a thematic reason, you know, is that these, these people should probably get comfortable with the unknown because in this case, they led them to some pretty dark places. Are you doing spoilers? Hell yeah. yeah and I'm if y'all are okay with it, yeah, we love spoilers. Especially <laughs> for your guys' movies. I think it's like the best way right. to talk about them. <laughs> There's, there's also, there's something very interesting about how in real life, most people probably have experiences that, you know, that the experiences are ultimately subjective and they're ultimately personal experiences. And you can't prove whether something outside, outside what regard as scientific thought happened or just a, a, a general a general ethos materialism or whatever it is you can't believe you can't prove anything outside that but it can still be personal to you you can still believe it happened you can believe in the supernatural all those things and i think that's probably the experience that most people have in life where it's like oh, i can't prove it but i feel like i've had things happen there's something about a movie that has that that can be analogous to that to to real life that i think was a story that was really appealing to us to tell that is to say that you don't get to the end of the movie and you go, I guess it was all psychological. I guess it was just completely in their heads. I mean, some of it was clearly, they clearly were wrong about a lot of things, but you still feel like something was there. And there's something that gives the thrill of a sense of dread and eeriness with that. That is not only, is it not only meaningful to being analogous to real life, but it's also something quite thrilling. Awesome. Totally. I feel like that's a, a great place to sort of like segue to talking about the l- visual language of the film because it's, I, I thought it's really interesting how it kind of blends what we feel like is maybe more of like an objective view, uh, although maybe it's just seemingly objective, with then the more subjective views of the characters and what they're choosing to film and choosing to show, uh, as well as like you have those documentary style cutaways. Can you talk a bit about choosing to communicate character? through these uh, cinematography choices. And also, if that sort of main camera is maybe meant to be a bit more subjective than it would seem uh, on first glance? Uh, that's an incredible question. And, and we actually haven't been asked it before. And buckle up, because it's just going to take us to the end of this podcast. To answer I'm it. very ready for um, it. Well, the I guess historically, we shoot all of our movies uh, with a very similar ethos um, in a way that I don't believe we were able to do on something in the dirt. And I'll get into that, which is that the camera is subjective and it's alive, but it's, and it has its own volition and will, but it is not a human. 
And so, so that's why it's able to go anywhere, but it, but it has this kind of particular, its own interest and it kind of seems to know where the story's going in a way and leads us in that way. And, uh, and the reason we, we didn't do that on something in the dirt and couldn't do that on something in the dirt, luckily, thematically, it works very, very well because this isn't a, uh, a, a naturalistic, this isn't meant to be a naturalistic narrative. It is meant to be something that sort of is supposed to exist in our real world, akin to House of Leaves. Mm. Uh, and, and it's supposed to use these documentary style things that we haven't ever completely embraced. Um, and then on a production level, there was an in-person crew of myself, Justin, and Dave, our producer. So there, if, if Justin was on camera, I was holding the camera so that, so we couldn't have a lot of like two shots, you know, there were wide shots, but that, that, that we, we'd shoot for the scene. Uh, this is my dog rooster, by the way. I don't know if you're doing visuals. Uh, or, but oh yeah, we are. Beautiful. I'll always great. appreciate a dog cameo. That's, great, great. That's yeah. a thumbnail right there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see us, uh, our eyeline wandering off. It's because he's doing something. <laughs> um, uh, so that, that is why like the main camera of the film is, do you want to get into the character subjective cameras and the cutaways? Yeah. So something we had, we had talked about from early on was that in the process of these guys deciding to try to document the supernatural, that they would each get their own cameras and these cameras would be distinctly different images so that the viewer would be able to track whose point of view it was in those exact moments. And so my character, Levi, he, he purchases a, um, a standard depth Panasonic DVX 100 from a thrift store that it just, it's going to look different because it's standard <laughs> depth. And then the, um, and then Aaron's character has a HDSLR who he's always shooting with and, and that, in moments of high, highly emotional moments, you would see these characters being expressed through what they're doing with those cameras. Um, it plays, comes mostly into play in um, in the, the third act, sort of big emotional argument mm -hmm. blow up between the two of them. But um, we tried to weave it in wherever we could, and that was a lot of fun. And it also, anytime you're cutting between wildly different camera formats, it buys you a little bit in terms of pacing in a weird kind of a way. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like the scenes are going faster just by virtue of just literally cutting between different formats. Yeah. And actually on that same, that same note, we, we were doing an interview uh, a few weeks ago and someone made us realize is the, this other format of doing cutaways to stop footage and public domain footage and our, our childhoods and all of this we we had a we have a lot of deep theory for why it is the way it is and it actually evolves through the movie but somebody said something really interesting is that it's um that it adds authenticity to what they're saying but it's almost like showing visual evidence rather than than right. um than vocal testimony and that was something that believe it or not the, the cutaways it was always a documentary but the cutaways were not always in the film the cutaways were something that came during rehearsal and and was became started as an offhand comment. It's like, what if right here we cut away to something? We ended up really having to do that for the whole film, creating something like three hundred additional shots to be sourced. But um, but it was also incredibly exciting and fun. Um, but also, oh my god, such a head, bang your head against the wall sort of thing. And um, but the 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 reason for that originally was meant to be something that we just thought it would be funny, especially if it contrasted with what we were saying. Um, one of yeah. our favorite cutaways is 
is uh, something that was added late in the edit, but uh, John says something like, oh yeah, the door was wide open. So I just walked in and it cuts to like this bolt cutter snapping off, clearly snapping off a <laughs> yeah. lot, you know? Um, or whenever Levi's talking about like a, a lobster the size of Danny DeVito and we just go to this like <laughs> super wide angle gonzo lens of a lobster. Mm -hmm. um, really You get a lot it. of the humor that way. Yeah, uh, those yeah. Those cutaways, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and those those moments would have always been funny, but it is so nice to be able to back them up or or um, blatant exaggeration, you know, mm -hmm. like like saying like oh a meteorite struck here and then cutting to like a nuclear bomb going off on her. <laughs> um, uh, just it, these these things were uh, just wildly fun. I kind of felt like a child looking looking for like what's the silliest way to execute this moment and uh, and not completely jump tone. Yeah, I like how some of the characters that y'all interview in the movie even call that out. They're like, why are you guys doing the reenactions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was a, that was a controversial, not controversial, what'd you say? The careful line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That whole, that, that uh, some of those layers of, of um, especially getting into like how much has been uh, recreated and all of that was always kind of like, just a scary thing to put into your movie. Someone has probably done it before and we're just not super aware of it. But for us, it was like, oh, wow, this is like, it was, it was a scary, it was kind of a scary thing to do creatively. And um, so much so that we would always like think about like, oh, well, like, could we, you know, is this an easy trim? And, but now it's kind of like, now with the finished film, I think for oftentimes for people, it's almost like, like even if you hate the movie, it's a reason for it to exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, there's some like level of maybe innovation happening. Yeah. Yeah. The uh I I think I think um you know you're always especially in the sci-fi realm, right on the razor's edge of something that's like pretty cool and the stupidest thing that's ever happened. And uh <laughs> that's the most exciting place to be. And by the way. Sometimes you fall into one, sometimes you fall into the other. Mm -hmm. but I feel like the the fact that they're playing themselves in their recreations or that the film's been edited by seven different people, including mystery people and off-camera people and all that, always had the potential to be the world's biggest eye roll. And I'm sure some people also feel that way about the film. But uh, but we now, now with the finished product, feel like it's an indelible part of the film. It's just, it's so exciting, I guess, mm -hmm. for us. Nice. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, Art, did you want to ask about uh, the Easter yeah. eggs? Yeah, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to Easter eggs, and you guys, like, I don't know, you just kill it. Since the beginning, I've been following, I see a little <laughs> red leaf, red petals in any one of y'all's movies. I know that there's something there to look out for, uh, and I remember catching The Endless and catching a lot of those things, and I see some things that look like The Endless in this movie, and some references to the past stuff that have been throughout, and I'm curious, uh, especially with all the projects that y'all said you've pitched, and you know, a lot of people like jumping up to bigger franchise. I know y'all have had the opportunity to do so. So do you see that as being a through line that you're going to continue in your movies, that kind of like Easter egg side story? Do you see that becoming its own story? Maybe instead of making a franchise, you guys will revisit one of your older movies? Like, is that something you've thought about with a lot of that backstory, almost lore that you've built? Yeah, to expand a universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably nearly 100% sure we'll, we'll go more explicitly back into that universe and those, those characters specifically. Almost, almost no doubt. Um, I guess just what form that takes is like is the question whether it's a 
whether we do it as a as another one of our indie films or if we do it as a TV show or something. Um, but yeah, it's something we, we constantly talk about. There's something really special that happens when you you make something like, for example, when we made Resolution, and then you keep thinking about those characters over many years, and you go back and you revisit the story. And if if you can just get out of your mind the idea of what a sequel is, just forget that. Who cares about that? It doesn't matter. But if you can just use it as a as a as creative juice, just to tell a better story with a bigger backstory, these more fleshed out characters that even if a viewer comes into number movie that's three or four in chronology, but they feel a big backstory. And as long as I can still follow the movie and it doesn't require complicated plot elements to get you there, there can be something really special about the process of making it, uh, the process, the creative process, coming with ideas for it, of, um, of, of just expressing where those characters are at now after, you know, five, 10 years of gestation is a very special thing. But again, always without falling into the pit of being like, we're making a sequel, so what do sequels do? Um, and not even being meta about it. Like, just forget that. Get that out of your head. It's a, it's funny. We have so many forms of media that do that, and they are not sequels. A TV show is serialized, typically, right? Like, we understand what these things are, but there's something about doing something that is serialized, is both serialized and also doesn't require the viewer knows what came before and using that as a string. It's very exciting. There, there was a uh, there was something that Justin said to me when he was working on something with the some familiar characters from the Endless, where he goes, uh, you know, he's halfway through writing a scene with them, and he's like, you know, in a video game when you forget to pause, and so your character just kind of standing there, like like kind of like lightly bouncing up and down. These two characters just staring at each other with nothing to say, just kind of like bouncing up and down, waiting to be written. That's <laughs> it feels that way when they're that lived in. Right. A beautiful way to put it. Uh, yeah, I love that. Um, the film's credits have a, a dedication to making movies with your friends, which when we caught the film for the first time, we were we were a little worried that that's like it's marking the end of some kind of chapter or something. I know you guys started a production <laughs> Goodbye, company. making movies with friends. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I mean, so you have your new production company, right? Uh, Rustic Films. I, I was wondering, do you think you'll continue to make movies at least, at least in this style, or are you really more excited by expanding your scope? In a way. Oh no, uh, no. The making movies with friends is a, is a recommitment to the ethos for sure. Right. We we're Rustic Films as a production company, and and Justin and I as as directors particularly. Um, that 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 is just something that we just keep on needing to prove to ourselves, and and I think we've proven it for our final time. Um, that it's the best way to make movies. It's just gather your friends together and make one. It doesn't have to be tiny, but um, but but there. It is just a completely different experience to go and look for somebody that's like more talented or something than some than than someone you're believing that your friends are. When you realize your your friends are actually the most talented people you know, because on top of that, they can read you. They know what you like. You know mm -hmm. what they like. You can work with each other. There's a shorthand. You shoot shorter days. You shoot for shorter hours. Your meetings are shorter. And, and everybody's working to the same goal because you have the same taste because you're friends. And, um, and that's absolutely what we want to keep on doing. We, 
it's not just the movie. Like he's wearing this rustic films shirt. We sell merchandise on our website that, that says like make movies with friends. Like it is mm-hmm. a very real ethos that we will forever be carrying forward. That's awesome. I appreciate you Amazing. guys. And the movie was fantastic. Every time we go to a festival, if we see a Benson Moorhead film, we're adding it to the schedule. So that'll continue happening. And <laughs> can't wait to see you yeah, guys continue definitely. making movies with friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, if I could wrap up with one final quick thing, uh, just since we're approaching the end of the year, is there anything you saw this year that particularly mm. inspired you guys? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll just get one right out because it leapt into my head. I, I came a little late to the Drive My Car Party. Oh, um, my God. Hey! What, a, what an amazing oh film. Oh, gosh. That movie yeah. wrecked me. One of the rarest things where I where I thought, oh, I could just rewatch this movie immediately, even though it's slow and yeah. three hours long and quiet. Absolutely. And, yeah, I I love it. Yeah, it's like meditative. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to make movies that say so much about being a human while the the movie doesn't actually fit. Like, there's almost there's very little dialogue in the movie. It doesn't say that much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like I I can't stop thinking about the last season of Better Call Saul. Mm. Like I like I I think that's I mean I think that that whole like all of Breaking Bad, especially Better Call Saul, it's like, oh, it is cinema. It's cinema. Like, it's beautifully shot. Uh, It takes, it's got bold editing, bold storytelling. Um, And it's hard. I think that it's funny, like, Breaking Bad is obviously so beloved. And, but I, I find myself thinking about Better Call Saul as oddly a thing that's just like, oh, it's oddly, I think maybe I relate with it more. Because, like, I think in filmmaking, you always feel like Saul sometimes. Yeah. Like, you're, like, you're <laughs> constantly, like, trying, like, you have to switch between, you know, between, you know, going into pitching mode and trying to be entertaining to people. <laughs> and, like, everything feels like, it's like, if you finish a movie, you feel like you, like, you kind of, like, we're, like, like, <laughs> I don't know if anyone finishes an indie film without being a con artist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like, I pulled off that caper. Yeah, nobody's right. <laughs> yeah, the Walter White's genius is maybe a little too high to relate to, but uh, we can all envision ourselves as Saul sometimes. Yeah, there's there's a film on the festival circuit. There's a film on the festival circuit right now called uh, From Beyond, and uh, by Frederick Hanna. Okay. And uh, if you if it's a short, it's I think 13 minutes okay. long. Um, but worth like buying a ticket to a shorts block to see where it's um, imagine if district nine were dead serious, like dead serious, not a single joke and uh, was fully mixed media. And the alien didn't was, was more incomprehensible was more like a mold, like a mold or something like that. Huh. And so you get to see from a billion different forms of media how humanity responds to like this weird alien incursion of some kind that doesn't really look or feel like any other alien incursion that you can imagine. Um, and it's just a work of brilliance. And I just want to draw some attention to a little indie project before we sign off talking about, you know, the the Oscar winner and the Emmy winner (laughs) (laughs) from beyond. Okay. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I got to put that on our radar. Thanks so much, guys. I really, really appreciate getting to talk about this movie. Yeah, thank you. It, it's it's great. And goodbye to the dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he doesn't want. It. Nope, he's too excited. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Here we go. More we'll important things to do. Come on, say goodbye, my friends. Now I was just confused. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. He's All really right. awesome. Take care, guys. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah.
Bye. Take care.